what happens if you run out of all the money and you get to check it out, what it's like to be homeless for a month. Probably the best damn experience of your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like even going to that place of like relieving the power that the story has about anything because keep going. So I'm going to die. And typically there's a process too that like everything basically leads to death, right? I'm afraid of dying. Okay. So what's wrong with dying? Like if you, if we want to go there, so then, okay, great. So it's like, then all of a sudden we've gone all the way to the very deepest, deepest, deepest concern or need. I'm afraid of dying. Okay, great. So now let's talk about that. And if that can be, if the, the pressure on that can be relieved, then you're golden because there's nothing else that can, can really f- make you fearful, right? Then you're free. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. With better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Come join our online community at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're speaking with Jonathan Reinbold, Sustainability Director for Thomas Foods, about the food industry's impacts on our health and the environment, and the progress being made to turn any negative impacts into positive. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. Come join our online community at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On today's episode, we're discussing how to pursue excellence without the stress caused by our attachment to the future. Our guests, Linwood Paul and Matt Damore, are co-founders of Subtle Distinctions, where they cultivate thoughtful leaders from the inside out. The concept that we want to chat with you or share with your listeners is the idea of excellence in your business without attachment. And that might seem like a something that you might not fully understand or even know how that's possible or what that would even look like. So we're going to hopefully break it down for, for everyone. And, and first and foremost, let's talk about just the word attachment. What is attachment? And as Linwood and I were musing on this concept, the idea that we really brought it back to is this, this notion of having a preference for an outcome that can be relative in effect. And so in business, it's really interesting because why we felt this was important is that we did a little research and found out that uh, 20% of the population, general population, and about 34% of the entrepreneurial population suffer from anxiety. Okay. And our notion is that, well, where typically is this anxiety stemming from? What could be one of the main sources of this anxiety? And that is, we're worried about something in the future that we don't even know is either possible or is going to happen, but it's, it's literally living in the future. And that's really 
there's so many paradoxes buried into goal setting and all these kind of workflow processes that help us be more efficient with our time and, and with our people and, and, and really scale faster. And although that's absolutely needed, I think where we're going to try to flip this whole concept on its head is how can you be fully, fully present operating from those places and yet do your, what I call a hundred percent of the 50% so that you can let go of the expectations of what you have in the future. And we oftentimes are drawing analogies of, you're using the term, you know, the energy or the force or the universe or something like that. But in essence, it's like, if what can one person do in order to begin operating your business in excellence without attachment? And so the one thing that I I just mentioned that I wanted to to share and and just point out to is what does it look like for you to show up and give it your all so that you can then basically say, I've done exactly what I know I can do and all the rest is out of my control. And what does that take? That takes a level of trust. And so there's this whole other notion of trust that I think in this exploration of of creating a business and operating without attachment, you have to look deep into your relationship with trust. What does that even look like? And I think a lot of times people haven't taken the time to sit back and diagnose their relationship with trust, whether it be with themselves, which is the first place you got to start, with your significant other, with your business partner, with the idea of business, with just the whole world. So breaking down your concept, because without that understanding, it's my idea that I don't think you're going to be fully able to get to that place of operating purely in an excellent zone and saying, okay, and therefore what happens from this place is going to happen because most of it is going to be outside of my control anyways. So another thing in terms of more of the the how-to is operating from a place um, that we're saying is bringing your full brunt of your excellence, right? So, and being fully, fully present. And there's a, you know, there's been so many books, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, and, and multiple others that talk about the power of being in the now and being present. Something that we talk a lot about to people is, what does it look like when you're in a conversation for them to actively listen so that you're not comparing, you're not rehearsing, you're not placating, you're not derailing? Because oftentimes when we're in relationship or we're in a conversation, we're two or three other different places. So a big step of this is actually becoming present. Other things that you can do to help with that is if you're on the computer, you know, turning off some of the notifications that pop up under your screen that have the email notifications or your text message or anything like that. And thinking about what you can do to create these smaller increments, even if they're two minutes or if they're a minute, 30 seconds, start super, super small where you can be ultra focused and not be distracted by others. The other thing really is disrupting the feedback from the projection of the future from your previously held kind of anxiety about the future. So what when you find yourself going into a place that's into the future, asking yourself and looking at that story and say, how do I know this is true? And and starting to really break that down to see what stories you're making up. Because a lot of times we'll say something and we'll have this whole notion of how it riles us up. And if you really ask yourself, how do I know this is true? It's just coming from 
some sort of idea that you have about what's going to be possible. So Linwood, I just wanted to, I know I kind of was sharing, so I wanted to make sure that you had a, I had a voice in here on this, but anything else that you care to, to speak on here? You do this all the time, Matt, and I love you for it. And I just want to give the listeners the advantage of how I hear you. You said something at the beginning of your comment. You said it's relative in effect. That attachment is relative in effect. That anxiety is relative in effect. And that just kind of woo flew by. So let's slow that one down. When we say relative in effect, what we mean is that it can be mild, slight, moderate, or extreme, given the situation, given the individual, and therefore requires vigilance to be able to measure where you are in that. It is, I haven't met nor am I an individual that can stay in the present all the time. And so catching the slip, catching how relative in effect my attachment is to an outcome, to a fruit, to a result, is something that I have to continue to revisit and revisit and revisit and revisit. It's really interesting how attachment can pull us or draw us into the future. So that's one way to look at attachment, that it draws us, it pulls us into the future. And I heard this really interesting, and it might be complicated, but I'm going to do my best to share it here, idea of the future. And it goes like this, nobody knows what the future holds, but we do know what holds the future. And that is the present. So the present is the holder of the future. It is not the future. We cannot go there unless we are here. And here is the future with all of our narrative examination and our reflection and our curiosity and our self-inquiry. Those are the things that create, and I want to mention something else more slowly than you did, Matt, our understanding. And if you looked at that just by definition or even metaphorically, understanding means what we stand under, what we stand on, what we perch our ideas of everything, including ourselves and our businesses on. And that kind of understanding comes from being right here, right now, as often as possible. And just to, to tie it back and wrap a, a bow around it, and for which reason that we're pointing to one of one of the many for specifically entrepreneurs is, is to provide them a level of peace that isn't laden with consistent anxiety about what they don't even know is going to be the future. Right. I think as entrepreneurs, we are constantly just flooded with what ifs. We have so many decisions to make every single day. Now more than ever, the, the landscape and the business environment is changing in a way that we might not even know what's possible in a month. If some certain regulations happen, if we're in manufacturing, what's going to happen with the supply chain, you know. We could go on and on and on about variables that we could be analyzing. What's going to happen to the market? What are we doing with this? Like, when's the currency going to crash? What's happening with crypto? I mean, like you could just, you know, so what can you do now in order for, you know, to show up, do your 100%. And I say of the 50%, meaning that it takes two to tangle. There's a dance happening between you and everything else. So how can you show up fully so that you can go to bed at night and say, you know what, I put in 100% of my effort and what comes out of this is what's going to come out of that. And then I will have that to respond to. And you just kind of keep along that cycle as opposed to continuously getting caught up in this narrative and this story 
about what's happening. And then, then in essence, you're just, you're never fully present, but you're constantly responding to something that's not even real. And that's not a great way to, in my opinion, to navigate because you're, you're at the whim of perpetual nothingness, if that makes sense, right? Because you're always just living into something that's not even happening. So to be able to enjoy yourself more in the experience and see what can come from that space. So this is really all about us proposing that this idea of becoming present as a strategy for entrepreneurs and everyone else to be in a more peaceful, calm state so that they can really direct their destiny, direct their business, direct themselves in a more intentional and grounded way. I have a question for you in regards to kind of some of that anxiety you were speaking of that kind of getting stuck in the future of these unknown outcomes and spinning on all the different possible ways your business could get destroyed or your life could be changed in ways that you don't want it to change. But I think you you said something that struck me, which is, you know, the goal is to do everything you can do and then just from there, just let it go because you've done what you can and now whatever will happen is going to happen. But how do you recommend people get to that point where they feel like they have done everything they can do? Because I feel like that's kind of the what anxiety does to you is make you feel like you're missing something or there's there's something more you could or should be doing and it just constantly brings up other scenarios in your mind that then you need to go address. So how do you let yourself get to the point where you feel like you've done enough? That's a brilliant question, Gage. Well, I'm going to take a stab at it in a way that basically says, I think everyone has a pretty good idea when they know they're lying to themselves and when they know that they could be doing more. So that'd be my first answer is like, have you done, are you living into your full capacity and knowing what that looks like? Of course, you know, in today's day and age, like just the epic feats of everything and strength of endurance of everything like is highly touted. And so there's always theoretically room to do something more, right? And I think that's what you're pointing to. Like you can always do something more. And I think then at that point too, there's also too an assessment of like, well, what are the signs pointing to as well? I think about sometimes where if someone's putting in a million hours a week and they're trying for 10 years and their business isn't working, you could keep going and keep getting your ass kicked. Or you could say, is this trying to tell me something? Am I like, is this not the right path for me? And, and you know, am, is, you know, what is this information trying to tell me? So I think the first question gauge or the first answer would be to see ultimately to sit down with yourself and get super real with yourself and say, am I operating at my full capacity? Do I know I could be doing more? And then pairing that with what is everything else showing me that has me basically analyzing if this is like, in essence, what feedback am I getting about myself, about the process and pairing those two pieces of information but it's a tricky question, man. It's it's tough. Linwood, anything to jump in on that? Yeah, what I want to add, I lived in Puerto Rico for a couple of years, Gage, and I went down there and learned how to sail. And my instructor said to me, he said, you know the key to sailing? And I said, wind? Seems Lots important. of wind? He said, no, not really. It's important, but it's not the key. He said, the key is to slow down in order to speed up. And he had me push the boat in the slip back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I said, 
why are you doing this? It was kind of like one of those. And then he said, have you seen Karate Kid? I'm <laughs> doing a Mr. Thinking. Miyagi thing to you. And I said, well, give me the punchline. <laughs> give me the punchline. And he says, well, how hard that boat was moving, how fast that boat was moving is as fast as you want to move whenever you're entering or exiting the slip. Because anything more than that will create damage. I use that analogy here, Gage, because my answer to your question is slow down to speed up. Most people don't bring the, or that are in this kind of attachment uh, anxiety, don't bring the brunt of their excellence because they're doing too many things at the same time or they're doing them just too doggone quickly. So to slow down what we call a moment is one of the keys. Just slow down. And that might be from taking a breath. That might be from a meditative energy that you bring about before you're about to do something that's difficult or important. It might mean taking a sip of water before you're about to have a conversation. It might be simply saying, huh, my wife is about to ask me a question. Perhaps I should look at her. Perhaps I should stop and hear the question in order to answer it with the kind of clarity that I know she needs. Or here comes my kid again. Let me just put down my computer, actually close it, and not put my phone with the screen up so that if somebody's calling me, I can get out of this conversation and get to what's really important and just be. And it sounds too simple, but I think everybody out there knows exactly what we're talking about when we say the phone and leaving it, whether you're going to leave it up or, wow, what a compliment to me that you put your phone on the desk with the screen down. Engage. you know what? Another thing too is to ask yourself, okay, what if in terms of the whole slowing down piece and it's like, what's going to happen? What are you imagining are, is going to be the consequence of you not slowing down? Like most, so many people come up with a story that they say, if I don't do this, this is going to happen. Test it out. See what happens. Slow it down. Cut your time in half. And it's, it's like, it's crazy to watch when you basically test your hypotheses of what's going to happen if you don't do something. And it's typically like, yeah, when people slow down and, but it's, it's like, talk about a plague. I mean, it's a chronic, I think it's one of the top disruptors of, of business well-being efficiency is just like this compulsive nature to feel like you need to be producing. Because a lot of times if you really cut all the fluff out, it's like, I would say 60% of it is, is non-effective work anyways. And the other thing I would do is what is your identity around being busy? What is your identity around working hard? Because I think about the tech industry, there was a, a company that we've been working with and certain industries, you get a badge of honor if you're working 90 hours a week, you're strung up on coffee and five-hour energy and, you know, you think that's cool. That's, you know, like you're in the cool crowd because you're killing yourself for what? So, I think there's a lot of storylines out there too that are not playing well into this idea. Yeah, of that's cool. Down. And one thing that kind of sparked in my mind when, when you were both kind of talking about those stories of slowing down and thinking about the likely outcomes or whatever the future is, is maybe like, I think one thing anxiety does is it's constantly telling or making you fear this giant disaster, like big scary scenario that's really got you kind of worked up and you're trying to find all these different paths to make sure that doesn't happen. But 
I think one thing that the human brain is obviously good at is recognizing patterns. And anxiety is good at making you not recognize patterns. It's good at making you look for patterns that don't exist, right? But if you can get good at, like you're saying, test like, okay, just don't do the thing that you think is going to make everything explode and see what happens. And I think the more tests like that you do or the more you pay slow down for a moment and pay attention to patterns in your past of, okay, I've been afraid of XYZ happening in the past. What actually came to be? when I was having those fears. How often in my life has this creepy anxiety, fearful, worst case scenario ever actually happened? Like what is the likelihood of this thing that I'm obsessing over? (laughs) What is the likelihood of that coming to be? And maybe using that as a way to kind of reposition it in your mind as, yeah, for sure, like World War III could be right around the corner and my business or my family's health or whatever like is is at risk when that happens. But what's the likelihood of that happening? What are the signs? I think you also mentioned signs before. What are the real signs, not these imaginary signs where I'm connecting the dots, but like what are signs that I have seen patterns leading from point A to point Z that I know to be true? Like look for those things, not for these imaginary connections in your head that anxiety is trying to make you connect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big one on like identifying the need because I feel like a lot of times it, it draws back to that too. So another path to look at this could be, so I'm anxious because I'm concerned that a certain need isn't going to be met. So what is that need? Ultimately, I am creating this story because typically it's going to come down to probably well, something's going to happen financially and therefore I'm not able to do all of this. Something's going to happen with my security, with my health. So then that's the place to start Say, okay, what is the likelihood of this actually happening? And so many times it's little to absolutely zero. And then the best part is, and so what? What happens if it does? What happens if you run out of all the money and you get to check it out what it's like to be homeless for a month? probably the best damn experience of your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's like even going to that place of like relieving the power that the story has about anything because keep going. So I'm going to die. And typically there's a process too that like everything basically leads to death, right? I'm afraid of dying. Okay. So what's wrong with dying? Like if you, if we want to go there, so then, okay, great. So it's like, then all of a sudden we've gone all the way to the very deepest, 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 Concern or need, I'm afraid of dying. Okay, great. So now let's talk about that. And if that can be, if the, the pressure on that can be relieved, then you're golden because there's nothing else that can, can really f- make you fearful, right? Then you're free. That's yeah, free. I love that. Like what is the actual underlying fear? Because so often, like you said, maybe somebody's freaked out about the stock market crashing, but it's not actually about the stock market crashing. It's about them not being able to provide for their family and, and being ashamed or, or dying or whatever it is. And if you can uncover that and relieve that fear, then maybe all the other fears that they've been freaking out about about the stock market seem to have lost their relevance and, and their power over you. And that reminds me of an exercise that... I I read, I think it was in the four hour work week book a long time ago, but it was this exercise of what is the worst case scenario, like dying or whatever, I guess would be a pretty bad scenario, but let's not go there. Let's just say stock market crash. And then if that does happen, what can you do to get yourself out of that situation? And I think you were pointing out that like, you know, if you were homeless, 
for a month or whatever, what can you as a resourceful, intelligent, you know, connected, hardworking, whatever person, whatever your attributes are, what can you do to get yourself out of that situation? And just as you said, you might find that that worst case scenario is actually a great reset button or a great motivator or or whatever else it is. And that even the worst case scenario, most of the times other than maybe dying, but it's not actually the end. It's maybe a new beginning. Um, right. And I always love to say this when Gage, um, things don't happen to you, they happen for you. And this is the tough pill to swallow in moments when you're like, there's no way this is for me. This sucks. You know, this is terrible. If you can try on the hat in the moments where emotions are high and things are heated and say, okay, I wouldn't have chosen this for myself, but in essence you did. How is this serving me right now? What can I learn? Because every single moment in our life, every single day is an opportunity to learn. It's there for us as that. So if you're on the streets, okay, great. That's your thesis in compassion, in sympathy, in empathy, and understanding humility, right? So it's like, so that's what you had to create for yourself to learn those principles. And we create different situations in our life to learn different things. And everyone has their own path. And so it's just a matter of what we decide to create for ourselves to learn the lesson that we need to learn. I want to make a couple Hopefully of, of uh, distinctions here, Gage. When you talked about the... You like that? When you talked about... <laughs> <laughs> when you talked... They are. They are. They are. Thank you, Gage. I do like that. Subtle distinctions. That's why we call our business that, Gage, because that's all it takes, you know, one degree, uh, back to the sailing metaphor, they talk about a course to steer and that one degree off over time and you won't even see the island. Just one degree. So one distinction is when you said when you were talking about the stock market crash, you ask yourself, then what do I need to do to get out of this situation? Careful, because getting out of this situation is an attachment in that question. How about the question just being, if the stock market crashes, then what? And then you fill in that blank and then ask the same question. Then what? Then what? Then what? That is a non-attached way to look at that scenario. And then the next thing is we want listeners to be really clear about is we're not talking about detachment. We're talking about not being attached. We're not talking about being lazy. We're not talking about just letting things happen as they happen. We're talking about doing the work, being in the relationship, owning and running your business for the sake of running your business, for the sake of being in, com- of, in conversation, for the sake of being in relationship. And watch what Love that it. can do. There's a, a couple of things that kept coming up to mind as you guys were talking. That I don't know if we have time to dive into them right now, but just wanted to plant the seed too for listeners that um, I think as you were talking about the excellent side, I was reminded of a book out that I think is called Deep Work, but I was just listening to a podcast called The Hidden Brain on this concept of deep work. And it was this idea of you know getting rid of distractions and setting yourself on solid ground in the present and just like diving into some meaningful, substantial kind of work instead of just being constantly distracted by everything and having your brain not fully engaged all the time. And then another thing that it brought up was this idea of from the book, The Big Leap, which is about kind of getting everything off your plate that isn't in your kind of core skill set so that you can kind of zero in on your zone of genius and kind of do some of that deep work. Because again, it gets back to distractions. If if like 
me managing a team or me just working on budgets isn't really my thing. Well, I'm going to spend a lot more effort trying to do that thing that somebody else could probably bang out much more quickly. And it's going to distract me from the thing that I am really good at, whatever that thing is, maybe planning a project or coming up with new ideas. So I think those two thoughts kind of marry in with this idea of get rid of those attachments, you know, forget about all the things that could happen per se, figure out kind of what the situation is, get on solid ground and work on your excellence. And maybe if people want to do some extra reading, they could look at deep work or the big leap. Mm-hmm. And one final comment from me, Gage, would be is like with a lot of these concepts, sometimes they can be construed as like Pollyanna or easy or just like, oh, yeah, just get rid of attachments. And I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening is clear that this is, I don't want to say lifelong practices, but they're practices that take persistence and diligence. So start super small, see what you can do tomorrow to stay focused for three minutes See what you can do with decisions that are easier to become detached about that can help you build the muscle of non-attachment, right? So maybe it's like handing over a little bit of, I'll even say control or preference in areas that for you are more comfortable so that when it gets to those decisions that are huge and you got big business deals going down, then that muscle is exercised. It's got tension underneath it. And um, it's easier to step into that space then because you've been practicing small. And like the analogy I always like to give is if you know weightlifting and you know, let's say the deadlift, right? You're not going to go and start to try to pull 400 pounds off the ground for the first time. I'm going to, you're going to get a little PVC pipe and you're going to learn how to squat and do a deadlift properly. Then maybe I'll get you a dowel rod, then a bar, and then I'll put the baby weights on. And then from there, we'll go to the 10-pounders and then the 25-pounders until you're perfect form, your back doesn't hurt, and you're doing perfect deadlifts, right? Same thing with all principles in life is you have to start small in a way that when it's game time, you're ready and you're not trying to deadlift the first time ever in a competition. So step one, recognize the attachments is probably the first step. And then you can work towards unattaching yourself <laughs> over time. Yeah. And, and step one, in recognizing and asking yourself, why am I connected to this? Why is this important to me? What does the story represent? What have I made up if this or does or does not happen? And just play around in that field for a while and say, okay, great. So why is this important to me? And then from there, begin that next step. You all have heard this before. Your listeners have heard this before. Thanks to your show, Gage. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. How do I know? How do I know what I know? You know, just stay curious. Indeed. I think that uh, stay curious note is one that I love. It's my first piece of advice whenever anyone's asking how they can do more impactful or sustainable design. It's just like, be curious because anytime you're asking yourself a question, you're getting that much closer to the answers, right? So, And I think what I love about our sessions here is it is all about curiosity. It's about like we're planting these seeds of things that people can think about when they're trying to be a better human or a better leader or improve their business or their team dynamics or whatever else. And, you know, we're not necessarily sitting here consulting, solving their specific problem, but we're planting the seed. And and that seed, if they nurture it, can grow and that tree can provide sustenance and shade for 
years and decades to come, but you got to start somewhere. You got to plant that seed. So I think hopefully the listeners on the journey with us are being curious and finding the things that resonate with them and then they can go deeper from there. Love it. Thanks for having us on, Gage. It's always a blessing and, um, all, you know, just a blast to be able to come in here and, and share some of these concepts, hopefully, that will, like you said, allow, allow the listeners just to start to ask themselves some reflective questions because ultimately that's all we're, you know, here to do is to provide a, a prompt for others to look into themselves with. And hopefully, as a result, have a better experience of themselves and of others and, and a happier, healthier life. And even Matt and I, I don't mean even, but Matt and I, when we're done with this, and when we hear it again, each show that we hear that we do with you, Gage, listening to it is like, wow, what made us think we knew that? What made us think we even knew that? And that keeps us questioning and alive and available for whatever's next with each other, with our business, and with you. Yeah, I love that statement because it is kind of fun when you it's, – it's when you go to try to teach something to someone else that you realize how much – how little or how much you know. You want to really piss somebody off, Gage. The next time somebody says something with certainty, just ask him, well, how do you know? And yeah. just keep on asking, how do you know? How do you know? And watch the de-evolution – see what I did there? The de-evolution of that – of conversation because the more you question the more you don't know yeah the more you yeah, question that, the more you wonder what is that is it a socrates statement or something like that that was like something to the effect of like the ignorant man feels like he knows everything but a wise man knows he knows nothing or you know it's just something to that effect and then yeah, exactly how that. is it's it like, how is it that people know enough to be right and not enough to know when they're wrong <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Love it. So be curious and know when you know nothing. <laughs> I love it. Good there ways to wrap up. Thanks, so, Gage. Thank you both for your time. As always, it's a pleasure. You got it, man. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Gage. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Linwood, Matt, or their company, go to subtledistinctions.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review, and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback, so send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com. Business can be a powerful force for good. Is your brand living up to its full potential? Go to evolvecpg.com to learn about our new impact workshop, Exponential Good. Over six weeks, we'll be thinking bigger, getting relevant, spreading throughout, going exponential, working backwards, and making it real so you can walk away with a clear vision and a detailed action plan for scaling your brand's positive impact exponentially. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Thomas Foods, go to thomasfoods.com.